beg your pardon, dear? Well, I would have thought that was obvious, dear. I'm cleaning my <laughs> glasses. Oh, why exactly are we dressed like this? Well, dear old Dominator Rago, lovely boy, yes, wanted us to cosplay. Is that the right term? I believe so. It's hinge and bracket, so here we are. Ah, I see. Though I think the piano might have been a mistake. You can't get into the kitchen. Though I do like your hat. Do you, dear? Why, thank you. Uh, but yours is a little garish, I feel. Hmm. Well, thank you. Anyway, don't you think we should be getting on? Yes, quite right, dear. Ahem. Ladies or gentlemen, with lemon in their tea and cream in their horns, it's episode nine of Round the Archives. <laughs> Stackton Trestle on two in 45 minutes as Councillor Evadne Hinge is finally elected mayor. Now here's Ludovic Kennedy and his guests with Did You See? We are ladies of Our ideals are changeable comfort Hello! Oh, I really must stop doing that voice. <laughs> really must. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, Hello. Welcome to episode nine. Yes, nearly into double figures. Nine. Gosh. Of around the archives. Yes. I'm Andrew. I'm Lisa. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, you should know that by now if you've been paying attention. <laughs> I haven't. Um, what do we have left over from last time? Not a lot, Not really. really. Um, no, no. You did manage to miscalculate your own birthday. I did, yes. yes. <laughs> Didn't you? Yes. Um, I might have been a few days older than I said I was. Yeah, well, that or was younger. that was for the first episode of Who Done It. You yes. were a couple of days out with how old you would yes. really be. Um, we do have the. Um, tie up of the cliffhanger from last time oh the mysterious yes what, what happened? had happened to warren's copy of toby and lucy had um, had it been half inched by alan cumming well the answer it? is no right because uh, warren said that he got an email later from the airline saying he'd left the book on the plane <laughs> and was it of value yeah, <laughs> i like that was it of value? because he was signed I'm, by the author i'm slightly insulted that they have to ask <laughs> was it of value but, of it was for but they've sent it on to him and he's he's got it back. So yes. uh, so Alan Cummings, Alan... if you're listening, you can have a copy. Yes, Just ask. but it's still £5. <laughs> he's not getting it for free. He might get you a, <laughs> get you a series. Yeah, I doubt that very much. But um, yes, what huge pile of stuff has arrived recently? I don't know. There's, there's quite a lot of everything we've got for lots this of, issue. We've got lots of piles arrived, yes. but... Um, our biggest pile is our pile of hinge and bracket yes. materials, isn't it? Yes, there's a lot of hinge and bracket and materials. And blimey, we've got a lot of hinge and bracket stuff all yes. of a sudden. Yes. Um, slightly over-obsessed with 
we, yes, uh, we've got DVDs, we've got books, we've got a pile of uh, CDs which virtually go halfway up my leg. Yes. Um, but let's talk about Hinge and Bracket then, yes. and who are they, and why are they so wonderful? Oh, they, they are just... When you're a child and you well, see Hinge hang, and Bracket... Hang on, who are Hinge who and Bracket, are Hinge first Bracket? of all? You better well, explain. You have Dame Hilde Bracket mm-hmm. and Dr. Avadni Hinge. What's her full name? Oh, blimey, I'm going to have to have to look that well, up now. The, it's in the book. Hang on. Is it? Yeah, it's in the book. So, yeah, so I, we've, we have Dr. Hinge's autobiography. Day, Dr. Evadne Mona Montpellier Hinge. Yes. And although sometimes she does uh, get extra middle names. She does. <laughs> which we'll uh, go, go through in a, in a mm. bit. Um, yes. Uh, but they're a popular singing duo. Yes. So they're basically... Oldish ladies, would you say? Yeah. Older ladies. Older ladies. Who, who Getting are, towards elderly. Yes, who are rather talented in the sort of light opera. Yes, sort of um, the Gilbert and Sullivan thing. kind of range. And they did appear three times on The Good Old Days. The Good Old Days, so it does link back to, yeah, to last, to last, last time. Uh, but they're played by George Logan and Patrick Fife. Yes. Or Patrick Fife on George Logan. All right, get it the right way because around. Because if we're yes. doing it, if well, we're doing... well, if we do it, Hinge and Bracket Hinge is, is, is George Logan and, and Dame Hilda is Patrick Fife, right. who is sadly no longer with us. Yes, but um, yes, the radio stuff we've got is the Enchanting World of Hinge and Bracket, mm-hmm. uh, which ran from nineteen seventy-seven to seventy-nine. Um, I mean, we've already said. You know they're they're actually. Uh, would you call them a drag act or not? I mean they're not they're not really making. They're it, not making. I don't know. It depends on your definition of a drag act. They are hmm. a drag act simply for the fact there are men dressed up as women. Hmm. But, but that goes back quite a long way anyway. Because you get all the stuff in the thirties with. Um, oh, I've now forgotten his name. Uh, what? Who? Um, Les Dawson. <laughs> Les Dawson. Sissy and Ada on. Um, Oh dear! No, oh. no, no you can, we'll no, come you back to that when I remember who he is. <laughs> It'll come back, don't yeah. worry. Um, yeah. But there's a brilliant website, Hinge and Bracket Official. Yes, if you're at all interested UK. in Hinge and Bracket, I we urge you to go to this website because it's wonderful. It's very in depth. Absolutely full of everything you'd ever want to know. There's yeah. there's photographs, ple- press cuttings. Yeah. I do like the press cutting where somebody's written into a newspaper. What is it? Can you settle an argument? Yes. Um, what is it? The, the, which way round is it? My husband and I. My husband and I disagree. Yes. And it's one not of, the Queen, by the way. No, it's, it's some some woman's written in and yep. uh, to the newspaper, and mm. one of them insists that they're women, mm. and the other one insists that they're blokes. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the and the newspaper does actually Correct, a, yes. actually yeah. say yeah. say which is right. But yes, Hinge and Bracket um, official is mm-hmm. wonderful. There's also the Dear Ladies um, channel on. YouTube, yes. which is, I believe, um, run by the same chap. What, what was his name? Cause Paul Dumford. Paul Dumford. Thank Hello. you, Paul. Hello, Paul for Dumford. For sending all the CDs to us in tip-top, brilliant condition. Um, and it, was a, it was a huge box it when it arrived, wasn't it? Yes, the man just sort of the man the courier man. thrust it well we were hoping it was going to arrive on the back of Evadne's sort of yeah. trailer that she has she on the back of her tricycle because she, she goes up out. the road and things fall out yes it was a continual continual joke but I would say if you're going to if you're at all interested in Hinge Bracket there's some CDs available on the website yes which you can't get anywhere else yes yes uh, and also if you want to 
see any dear ladies, you can watch it on YouTube, but do the right thing and buy the DVD. Mm. There's a note here on the on the Wikipedia entry, which I think Paul Dunford probably edits or, mm. or, or wrote himself, because uh, a lot of it is familiar from the from the actual other site. Um, that the Enchanting World series was produced by James Casey. And on the first day, he was completely fooled and thought they were just two old ladies. Old ladies. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. The next day, Mike Craig, Craig, who scripted it, pointed out that they are actually two blokes. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, even the producer of their their radio stuff I, I was have a little to confused. Say though, I mean, they're very talented singers. Oh yes, technically yeah, they you are. Know, they're, and for, very, for, for very two good. Men, they get really high sometimes. Yeah, because they they do some Gilbert and Sullivan stuff with Peter Pratt. Peter Pratt. And Peter Pratt is what Doily Cart. Doily Cart. Yes. And yes. Uh, apart from playing the master, master in the Deadly Assassin, the assassin yeah. <laughs> it's very weird to see a, a CD which credits Peter Pratt playing yes, Peter, Peter Pratt. Pratt. Yes. <laughs> but they're doing some Gilbert and Sullivan stuff, and they are it's going really complicated. Sort of 19, Nineteen to yeah. the dozen. Yeah, I, I, I. I you're listening to it and you sort of lose track of it because it's yeah, so they're fast. Yeah, belting it out. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's a professional and yeah. they're, they're keeping pace with they him. They are keeping pace with him, yeah. And, you know, yeah. They're, they're, they're very, very good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if multiple takes were needed. Well, I don't but, know. But... Um, yeah, it's very good. But, yes. Very good. Uh, the, the second radio series is Random Jottings of Hinge and Bracket. That's 1982 to yeah. 1989. That's scripted by... Gerald Frau. Oh, we should say about Maud as well, their housekeeper. Oh, Maud. Yes. <laughs> I haven't uh, heard much of Maud, but I quite like her. Yes, uh, Maud initially is played by Daphne Hurd. Yes. Um, who plays? Um, who's Grandma Tyler Grandma in Tyler. Doctor Who: Image of the Fendal? Yes. And she's basically doing the same voice, she isn't is it? The same so voice. it's really weird yeah. that she'll she'll, yeah. she'll come in and yeah. she she always breaks stuff. Mm. So there's a long explanation about mm-hmm. why she's broken things. Yeah. Um, car hat, door handles, door handles and, off a car, and the car door, and windows, step ladders, I tables. I haven't heard much yet. Right. Apart from the car um, door. She she quite likes Dame Hilda. She's yeah. not so keen on on on, on, on Doctor Ruvadney. So she'll come in and say, uh, "Good morning, Dame Hilda, Doctor." It's <laughs> not <laughs> as though she's done something wrong. Yes, um, but. Mm. She was disappointed in the one we were listening to because there was a pigeon, wasn't there? Yeah, so the she pigeon, doesn't like pigeon pigeons. went into the living yeah. sitting room. And... I mean, we've barely s- yeah, scraped we the surface of these yet. radio we've ones. Got, yeah. There's so much to listen lots to. Lots and lots to listen to. Uh, but then Daphne Heard dies in 1983 yes. and uh, Jean Haywood yeah. takes over as Maud. Yeah. And there's a note here. She's also got a sister Gudrun played by Liz Smith. Oh, as God, well. okay. <laughs> so I haven't heard any of those. Yeah. But again, you get some very good guest stars. You do. Um, Rosie's scratching on the... Scratch. On the, on She's the, got a foot stuck, so on, it's on fine. The, uh, She's free, it's on, fine. On the sofa. Is it Norman somebody over the garden garden wall? Yeah, is Norman... I can't, it's, not Norm, oh. it's not Norman Bates, is it? Well, come back to it. Don't, <laughs> stop interrupting. If you hold that, I'm going I'm <laughs> to oh, start typing. Oh, everything. There we go. Keep going. Right. right. Uh, but um, let, let's talk about dear ladies, dear ladies, which is what we're supposed yes. to be. So they're living yeah. in the village of Stacton Trestle. Stacton Trestle. Yeah, which is... Um, it's a wonderful English name. It is. Um, so it's, it's a proper... No, um, sort of middle ages name isn't it? doomsday book name yeah it's actually based on a real um village isn't it it is yes it's where, where patrick fife patrick was fife born lived or, or, or was what? i thought you said he was born there. he was born there well he yeah. must have lived there he when lived he was there born as well there. But, <laughs> yes. 
I'm going to look that up. Yeah. But, uh, where were we? Where were we? Um, yes, Dear Ladies is 1983. First broadcast on the 15th of March, mm-hmm. which was a Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, BBC One's had a what was it? A budget. It was the budget. Wasn't it? Nationwide yeah. budget yeah. special. So all yeah. the kids programs on BBC One go over to BBC mm-hmm. Two. Uh, Doctor Who that night is the King's Demons Part One. Um, but on BBC Two, you've got uh, I say all the kids programs. Then you go into the Waltons. Fantastic Voyage. Okay. Um, you know, that's just like Invisible Enemy, really. Russell Harty. <laughs> yes. Kenny Everett and Mike Harding, or as right. it says on here, Mike Hard. Okay. Just Another Day, a mm. series a series of films. This one's about Battersea Dogs Home. And then mm-hmm. Dear Ladies, Look After the Pennies is five minutes past ten, which it's is a quite... a really odd time. Quite late, really. I, really, I thought yes. that was on at nine o'clock. Yeah. It feels more family oriented. It says a glimpse behind the scenes of village life in Stacton Trestle, starring Dr. Evadne Hinge and Dame Hilda Brackett. A financial crisis at Utopia Limited, that's where they live. Yes, that's prompt, their house. Prompts some novel ideas yeah. for economies and mon- money making escapades. Yes. Now, why is it called Utopia Limited? Utopia Limited. Limited is if you bear with me because i now have to sign back onto the tablet because <laughs> logged me off let's see if i can beat you it's a gilbert and sullivan sullivan operetta yes utopia limited or the flowers of progress is a savoy opera with music by arthur sullivan and libretto by ws gilbert it's the second to last of gilbert and sullivan's fourth collaborations and it premiered on the 7th of October 1893 for a run of 245 performances it wasn't really very successful (laughs) Um, it's not performed as much because it's got too big a cast basically Norman Evans Norman Evans Norman Evans over the garden wall God's sake (laughs) thank you I knew we'd get there yeah (laughs) Yeah, because basically um, it's yeah it's one that's uh, where did it say that I saw that a minute ago why can't I see it now that's really annoying it's, it's well, got something I'm, I'm... like 145 chorus All right. which not only needs a big stage is a huge expense as well isn't it so oh Stacton Trestle by the way yeah. the name derives from the real village Acton Trestle Acton Trestle oh, that's right. it there you go okay, that's in Staffordshire did you say that's Staffordshire yes 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 yeah. Yeah. Whereas um, Stacton Trestle is, I think, meant to, is actually Cheshire, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Probably no, like something like that, she said. What are you looking at? I'm, trying, I'm still trying to work out how many people are meant to be in this operetta. Oh, loads, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, I saw it a minute ago and now I can't find it again. <laughs> Which is always the way when you're actually trying to make points. But I wanted to say Stacton Trestle is a very well-chosen name because it, it sounds like the furniture in... Uh, village hall mm-hmm. um, you know uh, trestle tables and stacking the chairs and I've spent a lot of time in in village halls and I'm very very used to having to put all the chairs away after oh, sort of village okay. events and things like yeah. that yeah. but no you I'm, no I'm still no. I, will, I will find it oh Evadne's middle oh. Evadne's no, no. middle names no. yeah um, start to include Pauline mm-hmm. Reenie yeah Albuquerque yeah Liversage, right, and later on dot com. Okay, it does. It does um, sound a bit like um, 
Moriarty in the Goon Show, who right. would always get these ridiculous, like that sort of Jim wins. <laughs> Moriarty, <laughs> right? Really ridiculous surnames. Okay, but uh, yeah. no, is that enough? No, that's yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, it's a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. Yes. Thank so. You. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's all you really need to know yeah. it's not one of the more successful ones not the Mikado oh Stacked and Trestle lies 17 miles from Bury St Edmunds as the crow flies quote although there haven't been a lot of crows this year right <laughs> okay according that's to fine according to Dame Hilda I believe yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a it's a it's an interesting series I think because yes. it's it's quite lightly comic yes um, yeah. there's some very very clever double entendres yes. though um, yes. or maybe we just have dirty minds but yes, yes the, the dirtier the mind you've got I think, I think the more it works I think the better really yeah. Um, yeah. but the, th- the reason I say it feels like a family show is that children can watch it and they'll just laugh at the silly ladies they yeah. won't get any of the jokes they won't yeah. get any of the sort of naughtiness <laughs> but I, I don't know I think when you're a child maybe you don't get hinge and bracket Really, no. I think it, it, you get them more when you get older because you appreciate how much has gone into them. Yes. Because when you're a child, they're just two sort of slightly boring old ladies that play in the piano and, and sing. Okay. You know. Well, we should say about sort of production on Dear Ladies. Yeah. Because it is, well, I say sort of scripted by Giles Brandis. Yes. Because yes. um, there's a DVD extra with... Um, George Logan, George Logan, yeah. and he says about the scripting process, and they mm. it was more more of a collaboration between yeah. everybody, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so although it says scripted by Giles Brandreth, it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's uh, you know Fife and Logan have a go, and and the producer does as well. Yeah. Oh, we, we should we should we should say about the producer director team, yeah, which is Peter Risdale Scott and Mike Stevens. Mm-hmm. And one of the very earliest things they both worked on was Emu's Broadcasting Company. <laughs> is it company or corporation? Com- I don't know, is it? What Emu's is it? Broadcasting it's Company. company. Ah, there we go. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, Mike, Mike Stevens has got a, sort of one of these long careers in comedy. So you've got EBC One, Dear Ladies. Mm-hmm. Hell's Bells, which I didn't know what it was, but you said it was a. It's, I think it's Derek Nimmo it's being Derek a vicar. Nimmo. Again. Derek Nimmo being what? A vicar. All oh, right. It's always, he's always uh, I thought a you said so, I thought you said something else. Uh, Heidi High, Clarence, First of the Summer Wine, Hello, Hello. Are you being served again? Grace and Favour. Or what's really called Grace and Favour. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's 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 quite a that's yeah. quite a good foot in comedy, really. It's, well, yeah, depends on your point of view, really. <laughs> Well, some of it's better than others. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're on to series two of Dear Ladies now, aren't we? Are, we are, yes. Um, and there's a few, what's, what are the other things on them? Masterclass or something? There's a masterclass, which teaches you how to be a performer. All right, and there's, there's the gala evenings The as gala well. evenings, yes. They actually did proper concerts at um, opera houses and things. Oh, you're going to get it out? Yeah, I'll get it out. Get it out and let's have a look. Well, hey. I'll, I'll do it. Come along, dear. Use some, use some. Right, yes. So, use some elbow grease. Um, it says after many years of entertaining the inhabitants of Stacton Trestle with their gala concerts, Dame Hilda Brackett and Doctor Abagni Hinge were thrilled to be invited by the BBC to take their very individual style of concert performance to a wider audience. 
These events recorded between 1977 and 1981 at the Royal, Al- Royal Hall Harrogate and the Opera House Buxton featured the Dear Ladies with full orchestral... Buxton, that's the blue cat in... Uh, yeah, I know. In and choral, choral support. Co- choral? Choral support. <laughs> Chloral. Chloroform. Chloroform. <laughs> yes. The ladies <laughs> perform a wide range of music from Gilbert and Sullivan to Verdi. Of course, Dr Hinch has a few pithy remarks to write remarks to make why Dame Hilda remains her usual irrepressible self oh, oh, I, have, I have to say about dear ladies as well mm. um, brilliant use of silly sound effects oh, yes. Yes. you've got yes. um, the telephone yes. which, which just makes very very, very noises. noises you've got the um, the garage loudspeaker yeah. which just does this really weird yeah. noise you've got um, well, the the trailer on the back of the tricycle. Yeah. He's go doing when mm. the, uh, the little arrow, it, little arrow indicator pop, mm. pops up, and it's just very very silly. It just mm. appeals to me that sort of slightly over the top sort of sound effect stuff. But yeah, we uh, we still have a bit more. Well, we have a lot more to get through. Yes. Um, yes. Mm. I mean, you you've looked at the books, haven't you? Yes. And, um, yes, we've got um, two books. Two books. Uh, Evadne's Odyssey Book One, The Naked Doctor, by Dr. Evadne Hinge and, as told to, George Logan. Uh-huh. And that's basically up to the age of 18. All right. Um, it's about how she learned to be a musician. Is there stuff. a second volume coming out? Apparently so, but it's no sign of it at the moment. Okay. But we'll right. see, we shall see. And da- The Memories of Dame Hilda Brackett, One Little Maid. Oh, is that a, a sort of fictional thing about her family, is it, or something? It's all about her life story and family yeah. and, yeah, and and things yeah. it's just interesting what sort yeah. of weird odds and ends you can find actually but yeah. Dr Hinge's book is more recent yeah, I was going to say that's quite a new one the, the, the Hilda Bracket book looks, from about looks, 1983. looks a bit older yeah. yes. oh that'll be roughly the time of Dear Ladies then. Yes. ah yeah. an excuse to get some merchandise out quite out. right too yeah. but yeah I mean we, we've very much enjoyed oh, what, yes. what we've seen yeah, it's, it's um, great fun and it's it sort of it goes to that basic sitcom um, form of a, a long-suffering one, mm-hmm. which is Doctor Hinge, oh, and right. a slightly annoying one <laughs> that gets their way all the time. Yes, it's quite a sort of is, classic sort yeah, of duo, isn't Hilda. it? Yeah. And that goes back to Steptoe. You can see it now with Big yeah. Bang Theory. Yeah. So in essence, Dame Hilda Brackett is Sheldon. Oh, that's an interesting thing. But without thing. the annoying nerdiness not annoying but you know for the character without the character's traits because she always gets her own way (laughs) and Sheldon always gets his own way alright and then then, uh, Dr Hinge will just do a look into camera like she's being put upon yes but there we go she's very hard to impersonate because it's all done with facial expressions anyway I think we'll draw that to a close but yeah I mean I I, I very much enjoyed what we've seen and looking yeah. forward to seeing some more yes. and now we'll uh, I think we'll go over to have the second half of Fiona's okay. interview from yeah. Scotland mm-hmm. as done by young Warren and mm-hmm. then um, more stuff yes, to come yes we have something good coming up yes see you soon bye
wonder if he's married. <laughs> so how do you look at something then when they take a character out of human history, say? Say a dictator of some kind. <laughs> oh, God. Where's this going? Where's this going? Oh, you tell me where that's going. And I'll, I'll tell you if you're on the right tracks. He um, is Nibor. <laughs> oh, that, no, that was my, my ex-husband. He used to quote... He didn't really see the tomorrow people. But that was the one line he always used to quote <laughs> out. But, <laughs> no, Mike, he's not Hitler. He's Nibor from the planet Fashion. Bacash, yes. <laughs> Is that a step too far then in kids' science fiction? Oh, I, I remember the special effects were. I remember the eyeball melting mm. down the cheek. That was quite a step. Almost the one that was a step too far. I thought for children, um, and this comes up in Andy Davison's brilliant book Jaunt, was the one with the Russian spy, and she actually, they actually blow her up at the end, and it was the whole of th- those two episodes was set up that you think that Pavla was going to be the new tomorrow person yeah. and then right at the end she jumps out the window and, and explodes and that was children's tea time entertainment so I think that was too far over the line compared I still I was just shocked at that the same way I was shocked at the end of Blake 7 I st- still can't believe they killed everyone off at the end of Blake 7 I'm, I think therapy for that <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like the Doom Watch isn't it it's, it, yeah um, Kill Robert Powell? No. No, Robert Powell's deactivating <laughs> the bomb. Robert Powell's a new up-and-coming star. Yeah. He, he's the heartthrob of the series. Yeah. Oh, what do you do? We'll kill him. Yeah. Just going to put the ratings <laughs> up. We'll be like, no. Yeah. So, but no, it's an interesting idea to, that somebody as evil as, as Hitler, you know, to make him inhuman, literally, by making him an alien go some way to explaining how he could do some of the things he could do. Funny how reality at the moment... Well, because they were saying at the time of the last American election is that Trump being president disproves time travel because surely someone would have come back and have assassinated him. (laughs) (laughs) I do like your theory. It's not mine. I saw that online somewhere. But but I just just think, well, one step further down, the, the... Okay, they haven't come back yet and assassinated him because is he going to do something in the next four years that is really bad? And that's going to be what triggers the time travellers to come back and assassinate him. Okay. <laughs> I've watched too much science fiction, haven't I? <laughs> I know why the rooms have padded spools now. I know why they put you on an island. Especially with the sharks going around the water on the we outside. We don't have right? sharks. We have dolphins. Big dolphins, then. <laughs> and whales. Whales. And seals. Jumping ahead in time. <laughs> oh, God. Just, just to round off. Um, what do you watch now? What, what will make you put that television on and sit and watch something? I don't... I've, one of the things is because I my original career choice was theatre and I've yeah, been lucky enough to work with quite a few people when I was doing various things down on the Isle of Wight with the theatres there um, and at Salisbury and then through doing the Doctor Who conventions I tend to get an, a copy of the Radio Times and I'll, it's, it's going back to what I said about the Tory people I'll look in the radio, cast list in the Radio Times and if I see somebody in there 
then I will watch something because of who's in it very often. Um, subject matter wise, if it is sort of sci-fi fantasy, then uh, we watch Fringe, Grimm, you know, quite a few of the American ones. Um, Do you think America's left us behind? Yes. Yeah. Because we seem to be burbling along with who, but and nothing, nothing else. else. Yeah. You know, we think that for something that started in '63, I know we have the dark, you know, the, the like those years when there was nothing on the television, and then it's come back with this huge explosion. But we haven't really done anything else. Uh, Blake's ever gone. Has Blake's it, gone. Yeah. So what have people done? <laughs> Sold to America. <laughs> Donald Trump came back, though. Because <laughs> he is me more. <laughs> With his droopy eye. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's not not much for the British. The British television is doing period dramas. It was interesting, there was something today mm. with... Um, oh, we watched Westworld recently. The American one, based on the film. Um... Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, and the the girl that's plays the bar, the lady from the bar in that British actor, but she's black. She was saying today that she can't get roles in her native Britain because at the moment, virtually everything is period drama. And although we have had black people, coloured people in this country for hundreds of years, they don't feature yeah. in historical dramas. So she can't get work over here. So. It seems to be that we're either doing historical drama or detective dramas or reality TV. We don't seem to have the creativity to push that bubble that we used to have. I think the 70s was... I know there's a bit of a sort of, I don't know, hanging over the 70s with what's been going on with some of the, the famous people and it sort of put a cloud over everything in the 70s, but the television output in the 70s that was so creative which we just seem to be stagnating now well yeah you look at somewhere like network i think they take all my wages <laughs> yes <laughs> you look at it it's, it's a niche niche area but yeah. i'm discovering programs like i've just finished season four of new scotland yard <laughs> in, the, in, in the 70s it's great it's um john carlisle and um john woodvine <laughs> yeah. and they're polar opposites, and it's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's good fun. But there are things to do. You can dip into things like that, especially when you. Oh, I remember that because yeah. you'll go. I don't know if you like me when you buy. What you like when you buy your DVDs on you? Do you go? Oh, I remember watching that. I wonder if it's as good as I remember it being. Got to be careful with that. Well, funny if you say that. I've recently bought A Traveller in Time by Alison Utley. Um, this goes back to the Troy people because a guest actor in in the Troy people, Simon Gibbs Kent died tragically young and he was gorgeous um, and he's in that and that's about a girl from modern day but obviously it's seven, late 70s early 80s that was made and she travels back to the time of Mary Queens and Scots and she's part of the Babington plot to rescue Mary Queen and Scots and I remem- remember this on, on the original showing it's time travel again and, and yet I watched the first three episodes only a couple of days ago. It's so slow. We've got so used to again, modern television now. It's short scenes, and they just switch from scene to scene, and it's snap, snap. But the, like in the first episode, 
virtually nothing happened. She arrived at her aunts and uncles and was seeing ghosts, and that was half an hour's television. It, what happened? <laughs> yeah, nothing happened in that episode. So, it's, um, and then there was. Uh, I've watched quite a lot of old children's things, and, and, and not just children, but Crown Court. Oh, I'm making my way through Crown Court, and it's amazing who turns up. <laughs> Andrew and Lisa are great friends of Crown Court. <laughs> uh, I've got a couple of volumes. I haven't got as many as I haven't got. I think they're up to date. Uh, volume seven or eight, aren't they? I'm but up the to face, five. But the faces. Yeah. Uh, but but it's but nothing actually happens. It's just no. people in a court yeah. talking. Mm-hmm. There's no nowadays. If you did something like that, you have everything done in flashback and voiceovers. Yeah. But now it's just people standing in the witness box giving evidence. Yeah. And it's. Amazingly it accurate. But, but I can remember it. I'm, if, on yeah. days when I was off school or in school holidays, and it was on lunch times. The old, it was the same sort of slot that Emmerdale Farm used to be in. <laughs> I liked Emmerdale Farm, but I don't like Emmerdale. <laughs> <laughs> they dropped the farm and you go. Oh, they got rid of Fraser. They got rid of Fraser. What happened to his character? Did he go abroad? Yeah, he went out to Spain after the. Well, he went out to Spain before the plane crash, yeah. and then they came. He, they came back, didn't they? And they were in oh, the contra- in the car, and the controversial. And Annie's husband was in the back of the car and didn't survive, but Annie and Joe did. Went back to Spain, and that was the last we ever heard of them. Yeah, I think they got. But didn't they get killed off off screen? I, I don't think Joe is with us anymore as a character. No, he's they? not. No, yes, he's not. Killed, no, yeah. it's a bit like the. the I think that's one of Fraser's bugbears, isn't it, that they killed him off? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit like um, some of the characters in the Archers. Bless Mr. Tucker. Oh dear. <laughs> He's a uh, yeah. Okay, Fiona. Thank you for. Oh God, is that <laughs> it? <laughs> God, dear. I take the lamp out of your eyes now. Thank you for letting us into your home and letting us into your life. And I can confirm. I am sat. I am sat in the cottage. I am on the Isle of Skye. Um, and the, the sheep are looking at the, sheep at are you looking through, at the fence. The killer sheep. They're trying to get out of the fence. And no, our grass is greener. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you to Fiona for thank that you, Fiona. lovely interview. It was a very nice interview. Thank you also to Warren for mm-hmm. being our roving, raving reporter. I yes. never remember which way around to say that. <laughs> but uh, I think we should let him out more, don't you? Do you? Yeah. yeah perhaps we should, we should send him up and down the, the country. Um, um, up and down Talking across. to people. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure somebody must want yeah. to talk to him. Uh, <laughs> but now we're very pleased to um, feature an exclusive yes, piece. Yes, it is. Uh, by Michael Seeley. Yes. Who is going to talk about... His the new, author, Michael the Seeley. The author, Michael Seeley. Yes. Who's going to talk about his book, directed by Douglas Camfield. Yes. Which is coming out... Sometime soon. Sometime soon. It may it already might, be out by the time, by the time this podcast is if released. If it's not, go to... It says it's due to be released May 2017. Yeah. But I don't it know. It doesn't specify a date. But if it hasn't been released by this time and you haven't already pre-ordered it, um, please do order it because you will make Matt West a very happy man. Yes. 
But Michael's also written uh, books about Doomwatch and, and Kit Peddler, Kit Peddler which, yeah. are also, which are also yeah. sitting on our yeah. pile over there. You can also order those from Milk. Yes. They will also make Mike West very happy. But yes, Douglas Canfield, I mean, you know, he's generally regarded as one of the best directors the BBC and, yeah. IT, well, and ITV, and ITV ever had. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he was a very good director. Yes. And it's really weird to think he, he passed away 1984 yes. now so it's 30 more than 30 I remember reading it in yeah. Doctor Who magazine long time ago yeah yeah. Uh, but it's about time a proper book was, yes. was done about it and this it. will be a proper and this book is, this is, this it will is definitely very be a much book. looking forward yes. forward to this um, yes. I think Michael's done a lot of very very good yes. research, research for it and a lot in, of research. in this piece he's going to just tell us about yes what is involved the process of, of yeah. making such a wonderful book yes enjoy okay bye Right, are we sitting comfortably or are we doing the washing up? Well, whichever it is, it's awfully nice of uh, Lisa and um, the other one, uh, Mr. Lisa, to ask me if I'd like to talk about Douglas Canfield. Uh, well, naturally, of course I would. I think the last time I ever spoke about um, anything was on a MIWK podcast years ago. It must have been 2012 at least. So I'm not actually quite used to talking and being recorded. Now that was for uh, Prophets of Doom, which was a book I did about the TV show Doomwatch. Uh, I was probably just about finishing The Quest for Peddler, which was the Kit Peddler biography. Uh, or that could have been a year later. I honestly can't remember at this juncture. But uh, Quest for Peddler is quite a good jumping in point because it was around about November 2012 or 2013. Uh, that I'd finished that and it was being edited and I was at work feeling a bit bereft really I'd spent about the best part of two years thinking Kit Peddler and Doomwatch researching Kit Peddler and Doomwatch and just putting together so many different pieces of research to sort of uh, present a nice coherent life of the man a life of the program and here I was sort of facing an empty nothing and I didn't really want nothing. I wanted to do some more research and more digging. And uh, Douglas Canfield was a name that just kept popping into my head every now and then. Because if you're a uh, Doctor Who fan and you read lots of interviews of people who've worked with or for Douglas Canfield, they always seem to come up with something just a little bit extra, that, just that something a little bit more interesting about his approach to work and his approach to people and I felt that there here was a subject worth exploring in fact I was quite surprised that no one had actually done Douglas Canfield as a book before at this point I think Robert Holmes had a biography written about him and um, oh I can't think of the others oh yes of course John Nathan Turner how can I forget that one and I think Verity Lambert was on the cards at that point and you know, I can't honestly think of any other television director who's had a biography written about him, unless it's one of those who end up doing sort of social commentary films. Again, names escape me. A lot of things escape me in the, my memory, especially. Right, well, it's great having an idea, but it's another thing having permission. And when you're writing about someone's life, you need to get permission from the next of kin, which in Douglas Canfield's case was his only son, Jogs. His wife, Sheila, had died about 10 years before I started this project. He gave his blessing 
and that was enough for me. Consider the uh, case of Kit Peddler. There was a widow surviving and four children. And uh, each of them gave their consent and I spoke to all but one of them. And it was quite a very nice heartwarming experience that they trusted a complete stranger, really, with the legacy of their father. And I hope I didn't let them down. It was a labour of love doing that book. Very challenging and very invigorating as well. And uh, still available, by the way, from uh, MIWK's website. So then, back on to Douglas Canfield. What came next? Between Jog saying yay and me meeting him down in Twickenham. Well, might sound a bit obvious, it's compiling a list of everything he's done. And that's easier said than done. Because if you look at, say, the Internet Movie Database and you... Um, whip up his list of productions. It's incomplete. Now in 1980 he directed a an all-film play for today called Number on End, but the IMDB will tell you that David Rose directed it, although David Rose was the producer, and that's the Z cars, David Rose, by the way, up at Pebble Mill at this point, uh, later to move on to Channel 4. Around about the same time he did a series called Company and Co. Now if you are watching television in 1981, I think this is, I could be wrong. I haven't got my notes around me, you see, so I'm relying for my very imperfect memory. Uh, if you weren't watching Company & Co, you were probably watching The Rockford Files, which was on at the same time on BBC One. You just probably had finished Blake Seven, which was doing its third series. Now Company & Co, therefore, was on BBC Two. I have no idea what was on um, ITV at the time, probably something like the world. Hang on, it's Monday night, probably World in Action or one of their comedies. They used to do a half-hour comedy strand at that time, didn't they? The Happy Apple Springs to mind. Um, Company and Co. is a very strange series about a series of, sort of bar, about um, a, three bar singers. Company being the name of the or one of them and her brother, played by Simon Williams, by the way. And they sort of solve gentle crimes, i.e. a bit of blackmail or a bit of... Um, extortion that sort of thing it's it's um that's rather rather nice and charming actually and douglas did two of them well the imdb doesn't list the program properly so that wasn't much good so you can't don't trust the imdb at least as far as it goes but uh the two kaleidoscope books on itv and bbc drama they help fill up the gaps and when I finally got to see Douglas Canfield's actual scrapbook, which contained all his like Radio Times and TV Times cuttings, I discovered I hadn't missed anything. Because he was a director, a freelance director, you know, he could have directed adverts or he could have directed um, educational films, you know, that sort of thing, which doesn't show up on these sort of databases. So once I was satisfied, I got more or less a complete list. And Douglas, of course, once said that he directed over 150, 160 productions. That includes things like episode one of, let's say, Dalek Master Plan. That's a production in, in its eyes. So, um, so you've got your list, and then you start to compile a list of people you want to speak with who are hopefully still alive. And this is the big problem of the Kit Peddler book, was that so many people I wanted to speak to had passed away. As the biographer Roger Lewis once said in his... Um, barnstorming Peter Sellers biography. Biography so rapidly turns into archaeology or perhaps history, how about that? 
With the Kit Peddler book, I wanted to speak to a man called Professor Derek Bryce Smith. I think I've got that name right. He worked at University of Reading, and his major claim to fame was that in the early 70s, he was trying to prove that lead in petrol was harmful to the environment. And although a lot of countries had banned lead in petrol, we were continuing to put it in. It wasn't until like the late 1990s that lead in petrol was removed. But he was pilloried, absolutely pilloried for his stance. And um, he appeared in a show called Controversy. His was the controversial view. In other episodes of Controversy, eugenics was the controversial view. Now think about that. Lead and petrol is the same as eugenics. Kit Pedler, incidentally, spoke in one of those episodes against the notion that a scientist must do his duty to his country and devise the most powerful weapons he possibly can. Now, I emailed Derek Bryce Smith at Reading University. I didn't get a reply and I thought, oh, never mind. Uh, I did a bit of Googling a few months later when I remembered and read his obituary. Yeah, I think he died about a few days before I sent the email. That's heartbreaking, actually. He did actually contribute to Doomwatch um, in the episode Waiting for a Knighthood, which is about lead and petrol. He's one of the advisors. And uh, they took him seriously. This is post-Kit Pedler, Doomwatch as well. And they took him seriously. So, well. Now, I met Jogs in um, Twickenham, Ishi, in that sort of general area. And uh, we walked around the park, actually, where his father used to like going. Um, sometimes I sort of thrash out problems and had to direct something. Uh, or just generally just to get a stretch your legs. And so he could provide me with a list of um, friends and family. Um, best he could. Well, it was very gratifying from my point of view that the people I got in touch with were very, very keen to help in any way they could. That takes a great weight off your mind, because when you're sort of... Um, phoning up someone in my eyes famous it's very very nerve-wracking now as you can tell in this little recorded thing I'm stuttering and I'm mm, uh, 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 coming up like that you know that's how I sound it's nerves it's trying to get my words out so you're trying your best not to do that on the phone and so the first five minutes or so of any interview this is phone interviews I'm talking about, is absolutely terrifying. But then, something wonderful happens. They begin to relax when you're not asking embarrassing questions, and I start to relax. And an interview becomes a conversation. And it's a conversation about someone they loved and admired. It's also lovely that they've actually taken the time and attention to sit down and write out a few ideas and memories before I speak to them. So then, who did I talk to? Hmm. I'm trying to remember who was the first one I spoke to on the phone now. Do you know, I can't remember actually. It may have been Margot Hayhoe, who was assistant floor manager on a, uh, a five-part BBC Two thriller serial. One of the first Douglas did after Doctor Who. Douglas did a whole year's worth of Doctor Who in 1965. He worked on nothing else. 
and then in 1966 he put his foot down and said please can I direct something else so he went next door to another producer called Alan Bromley and he was given two late night BBC two thrillers to do the second one of which was Breaking Point and that's where Margot Hayhoe comes into it now then I'm sure there was someone before her but I can't quite recollect oh well never mind quite immaterial but I did have a very nice bank holiday Monday now the Saturday before <clears throat> it was chaos in my house I had uh, my kids and my uh, my then wife's friends kids around it was absolutely chaotic and barn barnstorming and who should ring but Mr Barry Cryer which every day occurrence in my house <laughs> and of course I start to panic because I'm thinking, where's my microphone? Oh my God, where's my list of questions? Oh my God, I wasn't even expecting him to phone. Now I sent him a letter um, saying, listen, I, I read an article in the stage from about 30 years ago, the stage and television today, interviewing Barry Cryer on his 25th anniversary in show business. And he mentions Douglas Canfield. Um, and of course, Barry Cryer is apparently one of these people who will, you know, if he gets a letter, he, he will phone you back and talk to you. And of course I'm, tripping over my words and um you know I love the guy and I'm sorry I haven't a clue I listened to that and bless him he could tell it was actually chaos where it was and he said well look we don't have to do this now and so we made arrangements to, to ring on Monday well come Monday morning I phoned him up and he's like what he said oh give, give me 10 minutes and I think oh dear this is not very good is it oh dear have I upset him have I sort of woken him up and then I phoned him up 10 minutes later and he's lovely said he had a heavy night the previous night uh, and we had a, mar a marvellous sort of um, half an hour but the phone kept cutting out but bless his heart he'd phone back and say is everything all right and it was a very awkward interview in that respect but no he was telling me some wonderful stories about um, he knew Douglas as I say around about 1959 to 1960 they were they lived together in a bedsit in London and some very interesting stories and of course soon you know as happens we get off the subject and onto other things and that's rather nice an hour after that, I was interviewing Peter Purvis about um, his Doctor Who's and a colour test that he did for Douglas. So that was good to hear about that for the first time. And then later on the same day, I was speaking to uh, the son of Walter Randall, who um, Doctor Who fans will remember as villains in things like the Aztecs and the Crusades. And he was John Pertwee's friend. Now, this was his son, Clay, who remembered... Uh, Douglas very very well in fact the Randalls virtually lived with the Canfields it sounds like they were there every night really the Canfields had a very much an open house policy and then um, the next day it was Katie Manning and at the end of the week called David Tilly who uh, was an assistant floor manager on a couple of things Douglas did now as I was interviewing him I got an email telling me that I got a job that I uh, had gone for an interview for now when I transcribed Tilly's interview I did wonder I wonder if I could hear the point where I'd read that email I was going yes and goodbye my two part-time jobs and hello full-time employment which of course impacted on the book because I didn't have as much time to devote to it as I could have done and hence why the book took three years to do instead of the two it should have done later in the year I spoke to uh, Philip Hinchcliffe who was a joy and it was nice to get to him to talk about Target the controversial series that's often maligned because it's like the Sweeney but isn't the Sweeney and it's only like the Sweeney because it's shot on film simple as that perhaps the most poignant were the people who are who have now since died 
Robert Banks Stewart. He was absolutely lovely. And uh, Derek Ware. He was one of the ones who uh, I, f I phoned. I got a proper letter from. I don't think he had the internet. I got a letter from him. So I phoned him up to see if I can arrange you know, where we can actually speak properly. And he said, well, let's do it now. I went, ah, here we go. Grab a microphone, help. <laughs> oh my word, what, have I, why didn't I write any questions out in advance of this? And um, the first question I asked was about Z cars. Because I once read somewhere that the first time he had worked with Douglas, it was on Z cars when Douglas was a uh, production assistant and Derek Ware's organising a, a pub fight. Anyway, the whole point was, so I said to Derek, so tell me about Z cars. Now, Derek thought I wanted him to tell him about the history of Z cars. Well, that was rather handy because it gave me a chance to sort of get my various recorders and things set up and sort of find a quiet spot in the house to do this. And it was, again, a very lovely interview. And we had a couple of letters after that. He was writing his own autobiography, you know. Oh, well. One last story I will tell before wrapping this up because I'm running out of time. Douglas joined the BBC in 1955 as a trainee assistant film editor. He started on the same day as four other people, two of whom became future film directors. One was Jack Gold and the other guy was Michael Tuckner. Now I'd found a way of contacting Jack Gold, but a few weeks later I got a phone call from Michael Tuckner, who I hadn't been able to track down. Now this was an absolute bolt out of the blue. Again, scramble for the recorders and the microphones and think, oh, what do I ask him? And he was, he explained that Jack Gold was ill, but his daughter, Denise, had sent my email to Michael to say, well, look, you know, you're contemporaries. Can you help him? So we spoke about the early days of BBC and Lime Grove. And then I was, I was getting up the IMDb as I was talking to him. And I noticed that he had been working at Pinewood Studios on The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1981, at the same time Douglas was directing for the same company, Ivanhoe. Now, what are the chances of that? I had never made that connection. And so here I was making that connection with Michael Tuckner, live on air, as it were. Well, it wasn't until about an hour or two after uh, we'd stopped talking that I suddenly thought, I remember that. Hunchback of Notre Dame because it quite affected me at the time. It was shown around about 1982 and it starred Anthony Hopkins as Quasimodo and it was a really miserable depressing programme and if you know the Hunchback of Notre Dame it's, it doesn't end well for anybody frankly. Um, I'd not quite I can't quite remember if the ending matched the book but Quasimodo's why echoed uh, absolutely haunted me. So there you go. Well, unfortunately, I haven't got time to tell you about the time I went to visit John Levine. He was one of the few people I actually went to meet in person because he was quite an important character in Douglas's life and um, he's almost family. So I, I felt he warranted a personal visit, uh, which I did. And it was quite good fun, actually. I visited him the day after I'd saw Jogs and gone through a box of personal papers of his father's where we were finally able to sort out his um, ancestry, which um, Jogs had never realised before was actually in existence.
See, Douglas had been adopted when he was a baby by the Canfields, and so uh, his real surname was something completely different. And of course, when uh, Douglas died, Jobs was of an age where he wasn't, you know, when you're like when you're a teenager, you're not really interested in your own parents, ancestry, and things like that. And so it wasn't until he got um, this box of papers, which he retrieved from his mother's house after she died, and he just stuffed it in his attic and never really looked at it until that day that, that I came round. And there it was. It was quite um, moving, actually. Oh, this was such a complicated um, life to research. It really was. Kit Peddler, you know, that, that was a breeze compared to Douglas Canfield. It really was. Anyway, I think I've spoken long enough now. Uh, so, um, sorry for rambling on a bit. I'm not quite used to this sort of structured speaking. Next time I shall write out a script, if there is a next time, I shall write out a script and declaim loudly into this microphone on my laptop, which unfortunately is all I've got. So I bid you good evening, wherever you are. This is Michael Seeley, speaking from Norwich. Bye-bye. And next on Radio 4, some other tosser talks. Tonight at 10.30, the Sweeney, out for revenge. Lion has got to be nailed now. How about Jack Regan? Jack Regan? There's nothing terribly wrong with revenge being harnessed to justice. How are you going to split that little firm up? Come on, admit that you haven't got the faintest idea. Listen, for the first time in my life, I've been given a free hand. Okay, let's go. Regan and Carter go undercover in the Sweeney. Tonight at 10.30 on Thames. Thank you very much to Michael Seeley for that fascinating piece. I want to dip it here more, Yes, frankly. thank you, Michael yeah. Seeley. You can come back again, please, and do something else. <laughs> we would highly recommend his book, yes. which hopefully will be out by the end of, of May. May. That's the plan, as yeah. we understand but, it at the but moment. But if it goes back, it's still worth buying. But it's still available it's, for pre-order. Yes. And it's from www.milkpublishing.com. Milk spell M-I-W-K. Yep. Not milk. No. So milkpublishing.com forward slash store. And then the book you're looking for is directed by Douglas Canfield. By Michael Seeley. By Michael Seeley with a nice picture of Douglas as the doctor as he appeared in Brain and Brain Yes. I mean, Michael's been sort of supporting Rain the Archives. He has. From the yes. very beginning. Yes. So that's our, another reason we. we one we, of our loyal listeners. Producer, Thank yes. you. Yes. Speaking of which, we are now available on iTunes. Yes. Hello to all the people that have subscribed on iTunes. And I hope you're enjoying it. Yes, we've only been up there a couple of days. Yes. And blimey. We've got quite a lot of listeners we, already. We, we, yeah. we seem to have. Um, Yes, stirred some interest yes. there. So I think Canada uh, is our new country for this yeah. issue. Okay. So that's very nice. So right. um, 525 line NTSC Canada. Not that it is these days probably. But, I don't uh, know. Um, what other bits and bobs? Um, oh, Stapton Trestle. Um, I, I got slightly confused. Th in the fiction of Dear Ladies and the radio series, Stapton Trestle is in Suffolk. But Dear Ladies filming took place in Cheshire, in Nutsford, Great Budworth and Nantwich. I have to say, Maud's accent doesn't sound like a Suffolk accent. No. It sounds like your typical yokel accent. Yeah. But so, sort of West Country. Well, really. yes, I don't know. It's, it's um, definitely not like a Suffolk accent. Mummerset, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's Mummerset. It's, yeah. it's your sort yes. of standard... Standard yokel. Standard accent. Yeah. Um, oh, Peter... 
Ridsdale Scott. I think I've mispronounced it. I think I said Risdale Scott, but Peter Ridsdale Scott and Mike Stevens um, also worked together on Cheggers Plays Pop. Okay, that's uh, that, that was pointed out by the enigmatic Iggins. Oh, thank um, you, Iggins. <laughs> who never misses a trick on he our Facebook. Um, the Dear Ladies YouTube site. Which is well worth a look. Which is very interesting. Um, has got things like their appearance on Give Us a Clue, which mm-hmm. is very funny. It is. Uh, I've got yes. a frame here. Uh, Dame Hilda goes up for a clue. And it's the, the clue she has to uh, mime is... Why can't a woman be more like a man? And she gives <laughs> Parkinson such a such a look at that point, and he grins back. The caption writer's got slightly overexcited because he's put, "Why can't a woman be more like a man?" Perhaps he's doing it he, in her voice. I don't know. He's put two eyes in the word "like." What you doing? The flying squad's fallen off our sofa. <laughs> We've got a big sofa. Um, <laughs> thanks also to Paul Dunford for sending us some. Um, photographs of the dear ladies yes which are up on our wall and we've put them up on the wall underneath Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion signed by Chris Achilleos and above um, Roger Bunce and Clive Doyle so we've got a very interesting wall there now with all sorts of uh, all sorts of things on it Hmm. Um, and we should mention as well that it's just come up to the 15th 15th anniversary of Patrick Fife's death Yes, as we record, as we record this, this on a, the seventh of May. Yeah, I think it, uh, Pat, it's, Patrick Fife passed away on the eleventh of May, which is uh, two thousand and two. So, so it's the fiftieth anniversary so, this Thursday. You know, I think I think we should just pause and just I think we'd like to dedicate this whole issue to yes, Patrick because we, we've been again zooming through yes. um, the radio stuff yeah. in the last sort of few weeks we we just sort of yeah. took a trip to salisbury and they sort of accompanied us th- there and back yes we listened to the cat duet which we can't listen to oh at yes home the cat duet because the cats get upset yes the cats look for the, where the, the cats are so yes it, it must sound like real cats it must sound like real cats yes, yes. <laughs> i think it's all the yowling at each other yes. that does it also on the dear ladies youtube was a fascinating 25 minute um piece from recorded at pebble mill and this has piqued our interest from an archive point mm-hmm. of view because it appears to be a studio tape. Yes. Because um, you, you've got things like the sort of floor manager coming on. Moving with, stuff. With his sort of headphones yeah. on. You've got the the audience having to clap and then clap and then clap yeah, and again. clap again several There's times. There's cameras focusing all yeah. over the place. Yeah. And it appears... It's not Pebble Mill at one. No. Because if you look it outside, to be dark outside... It appears yeah. to be dark. And... Um, our guess, or rather the guess of the enigmatic Iggins, mm-hmm. is that it might be um, from Saturday Night at the Mill, right. which would make it about 1976-77. So it's very early on in but the actual history. But you can't it's... find an actual broadcast no. for this episode. Now, there was, he says, a standby episode recorded mm. in case something went drastically wrong one night and they could mm-hmm. just shove the standby episode Okay. On, but if anyone um, with sort of archive links can find out anything more about this, yeah, please let thing, us know. Um, anyone that knows about sort of Pebble Mill and Saturday Night at the Mill, um, this this could be worth looking at just from an um, from an archive point of view because it's it's definitely taken from a studio tape because the yeah. quality is very good. Yes. Um, 
but I've never really seen any studio stuff from Pell Mill because, of course, most of it would have gone out live. Got live, yeah. So well, that, that, that's that's interesting. So anyone that you know um, is interested and can help, all all information gratefully received on, on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I found that really really interesting. Um, what is there anything else to say, or is well, that it for the, for, for, this for, for the links section? Yes, so we're now going to go into our final article. Yes, um, yes, you're only getting two this time. Yes, um, with, with Michael and Fiona providing so much good stuff, yes, we, we didn't we... have so much to do this time. No. Yeah. Um, not that we've been lazy because there's oh, an awful me, lot no. of research we've done, gone into we've this done a lot one. of research for, for what's coming up next. We well, you, you we, have me, you've been reading books all over <laughs> I the place. Been reading books. So we're, we're going to do the Sweeney. Yes, we are. Okay, and let's have another trailer. Mm-hmm. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll do the piece. See you in a second. Okay. Over the past 20 years, crime on the streets of Britain has escalated alarmingly. The public are calling for a return to the heyday of the 1970s, when an unrelenting, merciless police force caught violent perpetrators at any cost. The time has come. Come out with your hands on your heads. They'll never take it. I find Regan undisciplined, irresponsible, too emotional. John Thor as Jack Reagan. Dennis Waterman as George Carter. You vulgar little man. Oh, tell me. Who are you? We're the Sweeney, son, and we haven't had any dinner. The Sweeney, this Monday at nine on five. Watch it. That bloke says Reagan. He does, it's not, not Reagan, it's, it's Regan. Though, so weirdly, there was a Doctor Who magazine in 1982 which was talking to Janet Fielding, yeah. and they start asking her questions about Tegan, yeah. but there's a misprint, and at one point they ask her about the character development of Regan. Okay. So it's like they're asking her questions about the Sweeney. Okay. No, no wonder Janet Fielding was confused. Yeah, she didn't like John Thor at all. No. Do you think that announcer sounds a bit like Philip Glenister? I think he does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Either that or he's seen that, and that inspired his voice for, for Life on Mars. And, yes. and Ashes to ashes. But yeah, I mean, the, the Sweeney, yes. Right. Uh, the Sweeney. Yes. Uh, cop series, ITV, yes. mid-70s. Please made by it. Houston Films. Houston Films, yes. Created um, by? Originally created by Ian Kennedy Martin. Yes. In so much that he wrote um, a one-off... Well, it, it was a one-off play, but even when he wrote the one-off play, they had decided that it was pretty good and they would take it to series mm-hmm. if it did well. Um for armchair theatre yes called Regan mm-hmm. not Reagan not Reagan and whilst after he'd written it and he'd handed it in and they were getting into pre-production he had a falling out with with Ted Childs yes. who is the um, producer. producer and uh, Douglas Canfield oh who was going to direct it who was going to direct it originally and ended up not directing it it's ended up directing being directed by um, Tom Clegg right he does a lot of the episodes for the series um, mostly because Ian Kennedy Martin insists he wanted to put gang rape in it. Okay. Ted Charles thinks that he just wanted to put more violence in it. Mm. Um, and that maybe they wanted to change some lines mm-hmm. and things. So Ian Kennedy Martin didn't actually get involved in the, in the series as such. But if you watch The Sweeney, he's credited on every single episode. As creator. As creator, on a screen of his own. Mm-hmm. 
and he gets royalties from it. Ooh. So the fact that he That's didn't, good going. yes, he didn't actually do anything for the series as such, but he gets money from it anyway. Oh, hurrah! So yes, but it's based around the Flying Squad, yes. isn't it? And you've been, I've done, been doing a little you, bit of you've research been digging. about the Flying Squad. Um, normally, we sort of ask Warren yes, about our police uh, about this. Authority. Warren, Warren's on holiday, isn't yes, he? Yes, he's not available at the moment. He's off doing secret things. He's doing secret things. Yeah. Yes, he's more, undercover. More, more from him later. Yes. But tell, tell us about uh, so, the formation of the Flying Squad in October nineteen, no, October or November nineteen eighteen. I think it's October, just before the um, armistice was signed for the First World War. Um, Chief Inspector Frederick Wensley, mm-hmm. who He's a, even to this day, he's apparently a very respected detective because he, he had a very high arrest rate. And he was involved when he was a PC in the hunt for Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. So that shows you how far he goes back. He called some detectives in because he'd worked out that with the war coming to an end, um, obviously a lot of men would be coming back and they might find, rather than looking for a job, because there probably weren't going to be that many jobs, that a life of crime was um, what they wanted to go for. So they wanted a squad to combat that. Mm -hmm. So the Flying Squad was specially um, set up with officers that could blend in with villains to find things out. And basically they did that with um, informants. Um, Initially they went in amongst the villains and, and sort of undercover. And they managed to get lots of results, and crime went up, and then it went back down again. But by the time of the mid seventies, though, there's a bit of controversy, isn't there? They were in a bit of trouble. There is two more things I just want to say about the Flying Squad's early days. Oh yes. Um, In the sort of twenties and thirties, in hot weather, Mm -hmm. they could take their jackets off, but they couldn't wear their braces without their jacket on. Oh right. So if they take their jacket off, because apparently gentlemen. Did not sit in cars wearing braces. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> so I don't wear braces. So they, they could take their jackets off, but they had to take their braces off. Whether that meant their trousers fell down, I don't know. Yeah, so Bobby Ball. Bobby Ball could not be a flying squad officer, no. If he took his jacket if off. If he took his jacket off. Yeah. yeah. There was also a car chase scene about 1930. Yes. That is worthy of the Sweeney itself, because... Um, they followed a, a gang that were going to do a, a smash and grab, I think it was, and... The, the cars they had then were getting faster. They started off with horse and like horse-drawn wagons. Yeah. And by this point, they've got sort of almost racing cars, and they managed to pull level with the van they were chasing. One of the policemen jumped across and jumped onto the running board of the van, and got his arms around the neck of the driver to try and get him to stop. Um, one of the other uh, villains in the van hit him on. They they hit him with a I don't know it was an iron bar or a kosh or something and kept sort of they managed to get him off the van and he fell into the road the driver <laughs> driving the car managed to avoid him yeah. because they always have specialized drivers for flying squad flying squad officers do not drive themselves they have a driver who's usually a young uniform not a uniform police not in uniform but a policeman that's got to a certain level of yeah. driving so yeah that's if you think that's in 1930 and that's the sort of thing they'd be doing in the sweeney in sort of the mid 70s oh i did like one picture that was in your book oh what book books were you consulting what books by the way? I consulting i have been consulting um sweeney the official companion by by robert fairclough and mike kenwood yeah the flying squad which is 
a book written by Neil Derbyshire and Brian Hillard. Mm-hmm. Quite old now, actually. That, that's, that's the book with the photo of the um, the radio car in it, yeah, which I like. Yeah, with a big aerial on the top of it. It's like this sort of van yeah, with a flat with a, with a bedstead top on roof. top of it. And, yeah, and the yeah. aerial yeah. is like this sort of big sort of grid of yes. metal. Yeah. And there is another book, but I have that on my... On, as an electronic book and I don't have that at hand but no, that's right. and if you just type the Sweeney in you'll find that one oh, right, that's okay. quite an interesting one as well apparently Rob Fairclough helped with that yeah but Kenwood. Let, let's let's jump forward to mid 70s now yeah. well 1972 was all right okay 1972 um so Robert Mark oh, becomes yes. commissioner of the Metropolitan Police mm-hmm. and immediately decides that um there's an awful lot of corruption yeah which there was yeah. apparently um, because it the, is this the, with the sort of links with the sort of criminal the, yes, fraternity? Yes, because they'd have been so close to the criminal fraternity, trying to find out what crimes they were going to do. Sometimes they got a little bit too close, and there'd been a, um, a Sunday Times story, or a Times story in 1969 about the drug squad, and a couple of officers went to prison for it, but they didn't find, or they didn't actively look at that time for any more corruption. But when he came in, now bearing in mind he'd come from outside of London, so he was already regarded with suspicion. Yeah. Because anybody from outside London oh, right. okay. was a carrot cruncher. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> that's now that I am quoting. And um, he was regarded with suspicion, but he initiated the corruption inquiry, which would lead to an awful lot of flying squad officers retiring yes. early or leaving in disgrace. It also did lead to some people who weren't corrupt leaving. Um, apparently, it led to one suicide, which is not good. But it was it happened because of a commander, Kenneth Drury, who had gone on holiday okay. with a pawn baron, okay, who had played, paid for the holiday. Right. When he was found out, he said he'd gone on holiday with him to try and find Ronnie Biggs. <laughs> now bearing in mind he went to Spain and Ronnie Biggs is, was in Brazil at the time I'm not sure how credible that is but the Paul Baron wasn't happy anyway yeah. James Humphreys his name was because it made him out to be a grass okay. and being grass in that kind yes. of criminal fraternity every name that there is not good yeah. so anyway into this situation there's a lot of corruption going on Ian Kennedy Martin thought it would be interesting to look at a policeman yeah now, I just have to say, Jack Reagan's not corrupt. No. He doesn't do stuff by the book, necessarily. But uh, basically, at heart, he's an honest policeman. Yeah. He always wants to get the villain. Now, the name Sweeney, yeah. of course, comes from... Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Flying which, Squad. Which is yeah. Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah. Because they go fast. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, um, who, who are the main um, characters and the main actors, character, well, then? Jack Reagan. Is. Obviously, played by John Thor. John Thor. Who at the time was only thirty-five, right. ish. Ish. <laughs> but he looked Does he a look lot older. older. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. It's the seventies. You it's you the... all say that about seventies yeah, people. Uh, John, apparently, John saw always looked older. Okay. Even when he was a teenager, he looked older than he actually was. <laughs> uh, so you've obviously also got Dennis Waterman yes. as, as his sergeant, George Carter. Now, Dennis Waterman's already been acting for quite a long yeah, point. Yeah, he was. He's, he's just William. Yes, he started acting uh, when he was about eleven, I think. All right. So that would be 50s-ish. Well, Dennis Waterman was born, let's see when he was born, 1948. All right, so about 1959 then. Yeah, so so his um, first role is in 1960. Yeah. 
Night Train for Inverness. Oh yeah, Inverness. he played a diabetic child. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, he's just just William in 1962, I think. Yeah. Round about then. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yes, you know he's been acting for quite, quite a while a long, already. Some time. Yeah. Yes. No wonder he's a little bit grumpy sometimes. Oh. <laughs> and small. And who's their boss? Who's their boss? Garfield Morgan. Mm-hmm. Who plays Inspector Frank Haskins? Who does stuff by the book, but we'll back them up. Now, as as you said a few issues ago, he also pops up in a very small part in, in uh, Zed Cars Friday Night. Friday Night on the other side of the law. Yes, because mm, he plays the drunk driver. Yes, so yes. so there you go. Um, but we, you've got the entire set of yes. the Sweeney yes. and a big not not in Blu-ray, on, big, just on just big box. I yeah. mean, it's shot on sixteen. So millimeter film still. and it looks yeah. it looks good yeah it's Houston films yes. which are thames television's sort of film film division division yeah yeah um but we've there's like 53 episodes according mm-hmm. to this and they're 50 minutes long yeah um a lot of obviously a lot of outside film work oh outside film work yes yeah and it, it shifts along, doesn't it? It does. It, it's, it's, it's very it much sort of action based. Yes. It's not a series I, you know, particularly know anything much about. So I'm deferring to you very yeah. much on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to look at some Douglas Camfield stuff yeah. from series that we didn't necessarily know that no well. From. No from. I mean, about, yeah. yes, I absolutely love his Doctor Who work, yeah. and you know, Seeds of Doom mm-hmm. is one of my favourite stories. Yeah. Um, scared me as a child and <laughs> you know thank you to everybody involved in that story because yeah. um it's just just such a wonderful story mm-hmm. um but w- i mean D- douglas camfield directs a a few sweeney he does episodes, but he doesn't, doesn't start he? until series two okay and these are um, series two that we're looking, series at. Two now, we're looking at now what's your there is one other thing i what, right. one other, a couple of other things i have to say okay. um at the rap party for series one Douglas Campbell was was invited because he was a friend of Ted Charles. Yeah. So even though they don't, they, they ended up not directing anything for series one mm-hmm. or the pilot, they obviously wanted him to do series two and they were starting series two at that point, starting to prepare for series two. So he was invited to the end of season party. And Lloyd Shirley, who's the, I don't know if you'd describe him as the executive producer or the head of drama at Thames, yeah. at, at, at Euston Films, was a Canadian. Right. I think he was possibly brought in by Sidney Newman when he was at ITV. Mm-hmm. But he had a reputation for liking a drink. Okay. Well, um, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe to more of a excess than anybody else. And uh, Douglas Campfield was at the party. He was sitting on some stairs and he was strumming his guitar, which apparently he was quite talented at. Yes. And Lloyd Shirley walked up to him, a few sheets to the wind, <laughs> and said... Quote. I quote, and I apologise for this. It's all right, I'm going to bleep this oh, out okay. so you can um, say it. You can't <clears throat> direct and you can't <clears throat> play the guitar. Okay. To which Douglas Camfield replies, I came here for a drink, not to do audition. <laughs> I would also say Lloyd Shirley also attacked, a right, nearly attacked a writer. Yeah. Um, one of the writers was standing talking to his girlfriend and Lloyd Shirley launched himself at him only to be tackled by Ted Charles who was... Oh, apparently substantially smaller than he and being dragged into Ted Charles' office to um, calm down. <laughs> so, 
I see you've written down, get your trousers on your nicked. Yes, which was apparently said... That's a catchphrase used in the series. I think it's actually used in Regan. Yeah, all right. So it's not actually used in the series as such. You've got, um, we're the Sweeney side and we haven't had any dinner. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, apparently um, Ian Kennedy Martin had a contact in the Flying Squad. And apparently it was actually really used by him. Yeah. That's a real phrase. It's a real phrase. I just want to say at this point um, that the... The theme tune, because mm-hmm. um, there's two theme tunes. There's the there's the fast theme tune at the yeah. start, and then and the slow sad, version. Sad, melancholy one for the end. Everybody who's died in the episode. Not everybody. But yeah, it's it's, it's a refle- guest cast, it's a reflective version. Is, yes. But yes. the opening titles, which I'm going to attempt to do here, okay. is one of those shows where it sings the theme tune. <laughs> It, it sings the name of the series in the theme tune. It's Ron, not even written by Ronnie Hazelhurst. I was going to say, Ronnie Hazelhurst does, does this a lot. You know, the last of the summer wine and all that. Yes. But the Sweeney does do it. So yeah. here's my attempt at the Sweeney. Okay. Ready? Are you ready no, for this? No. The Sweeney. It's the Sweeney. That's the name of the show you see. It's the Sweeney. The Sweeney. Just so that you know. And, yeah. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I just wanted to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot of time queuing it up just to be at the right point so I could press the button. Okay. Okay. (coughs) But the two episodes we have watched, Mm -hmm. getting on to Douglas, finally. Yeah, finally. um, Are Stay Lucky A. Yes. And That's written by Trevor, Trevor, Trevor Preston, Preston, who wrote for wrote Ace Crazy Days with Wands. And Thou Shalt Not Kill yep. by Ronald Graham. Graham, yeah. Right, so who was the writer that Lloyd Shirley nearly attacked. Yes, so yeah. Transmissions, Stay Lucky A is 27th of October 1975, yep. which is episode 9. Mm-hmm. Thou Shalt Not Kill is episode 13. Yep. As we said, this is yep. series 2. But apparently... 24th of November 1975. Thou Shalt Not Kill was meant to be after Stay Lucky A. So it meant to be episode 10. It meant to be episode right? 10, but there was... Um, it deals with the bank raid, yeah. the episode. Well, we're and there about must have been that a, what, no, minute, yeah. there, there must have been that some sort of incident because so, ITV. So Trojan Bus moved becomes it. episode yeah. ten. Trojan right. Bus featuring Patrick Mower and um, George Layton. Mm. But stay lucky, a eh, first mm-hmm. of all. Let, let's let's look at that one. And it, it's this game you can play. Can you tell it's a Douglas Canfield episode? Yeah. Well, the answer with both of them is yes. Yes. Um, they're. You know, they're all very, very precisely shot. Yeah. The framing, because yeah. there's this opening shot, I think, of Stay Lucky A, where, where the camera's very low down. I think yeah. there's some milk yeah, bottles yeah, or something. Yeah, quite low down, yeah. Um, and then yeah. the car sort of drives in. Um, but it's it, it, it's this thing you've got with Douglas, that the camera's always on the move. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very fast. Yeah. And there's just, you know, to, to quote Graham Harper, energy and pace, yes. isn't there? Yeah. But... Uh, Stay Lucky A is. Or what's the plot of this one? Um, they've there's, there's a bank. There's a robbery. A robbery. Yeah. The Flying Squad deals with a lot of bank robberies Mostly and things robberies, like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's been a robbery. Yeah. And then the robbers get robbed. Yes. And one of the robbers gets shot. Yeah. One of the one of the robbers is Alan Armstrong. Yes. Looking um, quite young. Looking very young. And yeah. the other one is Paul Moriarty. Yes. Um, and they get shot by. Uh, they get robbed. And Alan Armstrong gets shot because they fight back. Yeah. So, 
Um, they're they're doing it with the backing of Peter Vaughan's character. Yeah, so can I say Peter Vaughan uh, yeah, playing a sort of early grouty. He's playing grouty he's again, really, isn't he? Um, but what his is... his henchman yeah. is uh, <laughs> our friend John Chalice yes. again. Yes. Um, and you're, you're marvellous, John. Uh, yes. You do it very well. He's got a brilliant 70s shirt on. He's got a shirt great on. shirt. Yeah, yeah. Needed sunglasses for that one. But, but John, bless you, beating yeah. people up. Yeah, we can't take it seriously, John. Sorry. I it's know. not because it's you're a very nice man. <laughs> and we know you're a very nice man. But, but yeah. yes, uh, yes, you've got Grouty and Boise as the main villains, sort of villains. which yeah. is a wonderful, wonderful yeah. combination. But you also get Ray Barron in there. Ray Barron's in it, who, who's Sergeant Henderson in the in Seeds of Seeds Doom. Of Doom yeah. And you've got John Woodnut yeah. um, from Terror of the Zygons. Yes. Um, John Woodnut, um, and we'll come back to this yes. late, right at the end of the episode. John Woodnut, I, I did meet in. Exeter at an exospace convention with our, our friend Nick and mm-hmm. we managed to get John Woodnut to do his version of the Doctor Who theme tune. <laughs> he was sitting next to Terence Dix and we'll, we'll play we'll play this later but it, it's a, he's got a Zygon head in his hand yeah. wobbling it around and mm-hmm. going lom, 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 lom. <laughs> and Terence Dix uh, is, is highly amused yeah. but we'll play that play that later but he's playing a sort of drunken doctor he isn't is. he yeah he's yeah. been disbarred from or he was in the armor he's been disbarred from being a doctor because he's an alcoholic yeah you've got michael ripper in there as well yeah michael ripper um, well known for a yeah. sort of hammer films yeah and he always like looks that. i mean he looks really haunted he's got one of those faces that looks like he's seen something awful <laughs> You know. But he's got this sort of radio that he's very proud of that gets yeah, shot, doesn't he? It does, he? yeah. And I think the radio seems to crop up in yeah, it pops up in, again in later. the next episode. Yeah. In, well, in, in the next shout not skill. Thou shalt not skill. Thou shalt not kill. Um, clearly, uh, they 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 liked this radio. Yeah, so. It looks a bit like a Tardis tuner, actually. Oh, right, okay. It's sort of square and boxy in the seventies. No, it's yeah. not. But yeah, it's um, it's it's a fun episode. It's not. Yeah too violent actually no. i was i was surprised no. um because i've got this thing in my head that the, the sweeney is very very violent well it normally is this is a, a bit of an atypical episode yeah but it's balanced with humor as well yeah. i think um yeah. so i think i enjoyed it more than i you thought, you were going to. thought. um mm-hmm. so yeah I, i'm i'm quite on board with the sweeney at the moment okay. actually so we'll have to watch a, some more, so yeah i think i think we will but let, let's let's jump ahead now to uh, they shall not kill. Yes. Now this one's. What's this one about? It's a it's about a bank raid. Another bank raid. Well, as you said, they deal with a lot of bank raids. Yes. Um, basically, the um, the robbers, uh, the the getaway driver or yeah. the stopo driver, as yeah. apparently they are known in the underworld, the underworld, the and un, you know the in the villains. Mm sort of world <laughs> that was really I like you waving your hands at that hands, point yeah. it doesn't really work on audio yeah. um, drives away mm-hmm. so they take hostages alright um, they take the bank manager hostage who is uh, Hubert Reese. also from the Seeds of Doom yes you can tell these yeah, are Douglas yeah. ones um, Harriet Philbin yeah. who's in Genesis of the Daleks yeah. and um, another Blake, another Blake lady, Seven and Blake Seven yeah and another lady who's never been in Doctor Who as far as I know. You're right. Um, so basically it turns into what do you do? Yeah. Do you try and 
Kill the Robbers. Yeah. Oh, Ronald Lacey's in it. Ronald Lacey. Say that. Ronald yes. Lacey and Dean. Who we saw a while ago in Sergeant Court. Sergeant Court. And Stuart, Dean, Stuart McGugan. Oh, yeah, as a... As a, as a marksman, marksman, isn't he, or something? And, and Dean Harris, who I believe is the conductor in Great Show in the Galaxy. Oh, is he? I think so. Oh, okay. I'll look, um, I'll look that up. So, yeah, so basically... And it's quite tense at times. You know, they really rack it up the tension. Yeah. Um... And there are several points where they could kill the robbers because they have a clean shot on them. Yeah. But they don't. Okay. They get away and they take their hostages with them and it doesn't really end very well. I think I'm actually mistaken. I think it was Dean Hollingsworth. Yes, so, yes. yes, I was just going to yeah. say, yeah, it's, it's not... Yeah. I'm just getting confused. Yeah, Dean Hollingsworth is... So, yeah, yes. just ignore that bit. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, that one's a little bit more violent. There's some car chases... Uh, but where's this one filmed? Stunt. stunt. It was filmed at Bristol University because yeah. they needed a bank, and the police weren't happy about them filming in London in public. Yeah. So basically, they went to Bristol University and they were able to film on the campus, film on the campus, and that was um, private land. Yeah. Because basically, they did all their sort of action you, bits you, on you, private land. You do land. have this problem that when you're trying to film something like the Sweeney, which is lots and lots of guns and things like that. Yeah. Now, what's the story about the... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, when they're the, filming the, the, the second guns. Sweeney film, yes, it's got a gold shotgun in it. Mm. A, a gold Purdy, it's meant to be, but apparently Purdy, the, the gun maker's Purdy, wouldn't make one, so it's a Beretta. Yes. I think I remember that correctly. And there was a scene where one of the robbers drops it because they, they crash into a, into a shopping centre. And he drops the gun. And the director, Tom Clegg, who's done a lot of the series episodes, decided he wanted a few pickup shots Mm -hmm. of the gun being dropped and whatever. So they did that. And unfortunately, the licence had run out for the gun. So really, they shouldn't have had it out in the public. (laughs) Um, Also, the armourer wasn't on set. He had gone to put a bet on a horse. Okay, but you do. Yeah, you do. The stunt coordinator wouldn't touch it. Because it wasn't licensed. Right. So the first AD, Bill Wesley, who was known as being a great practical joker and couldn't remember anybody's names. <laughs> um, oh, that's quite common in showbiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's he, why people call each other darling. I think he called yeah. John Thor John Curly. All right. And, I don't know, or Smiler or something ridiculous. But anyway, he picked up the gun and immediately got arrested by a... a PC, rookie PC who was standing watching <laughs> for having an unlicensed firearm and taken off to the police station and left there for a couple of hours. Yeah. As they thought it was quite funny. But yeah, Team I mean, we- waving, waving re- weapons around in public when it's you're trying to film first. stuff, you know, you've got to be careful. Yes. As, as, um, Somebody sitting on this sofa might be <laughs> yeah. able to tell you. Yeah, Mightn't they, Lisa? They might, yes. Go yes, on, t- tell us say. about your, oh, we, your, your, your weaponry. Oh, well, I, we, I did a film with for Nick. Um, Run Faster Run Than Faster the World. Run Faster Than the World, about 23 years ago now, oh, which is quite scary. Um, That's the one with the with the shot of the... Uh, of Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard sign going sign round. Going yes, around. yes, yes. yes. Um, and I, I was playing... Um, Oh, how should we say? A tart with a heart, shall we say? <laughs> and it was set slightly in the future, yeah. I think. And what was your costume? You had I, some boots. Didn't I had you? some lace-up boots. Yeah, flat lace-up boots and, and a shortish skirt. Mm. And I'd um, shortish. Skirt. <laughs> I was supposed to have a, a knife in my boot, 
but I had this sort of one of those knives that you could get for kids that went sort of back into ones, the blade. Yeah. yeah, it was a really wobbly thing. But we were just about to film a scene, Paul and I, where I'm supposed to pull it on him, and a policeman came along the street and he's going, it's, "Put it back! Put it back! Put it back in your Put it back in your back. Yeah, it's, I mean, hey, it was a really rubbish knife anyway. Um, Didn't Paul? You said Paul had a better knife. Paul had a better knife later on. Yeah, we yeah. had a, a sort of huge, but that was filmed in Salisbury, and it was say, filmed yeah, somewhere was where they, could, any policeman, they could get away with filming it. Yeah, yeah. If you see the scene, it looks very nasty. That knife. Yeah. I don't think we did much close-ups on my one because um, yours was a bit it too was wobbly, a bit too wobbly, and a bit too rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's my weapon story. But yes, uh, I think it's more to say about they shot and not kill. Um, yeah. Nicholas McArdle's in it. Nick oh, yeah. Brimble. Nicholas McArdle, yeah. Nick Brimble um, was a policeman. Yes. Nicholas McArdle was a policeman. Yeah. Yeah. But anything else on that one? Um, or not? Nothing on that one. Just another thing to say about the Sweeney as a whole. Okay. Um, they didn't really, obviously in the 70s, you didn't get trailers and things. No. So they changed in pub toilets. Right. Um, <laughs> their editing suite was in the um, Houston Films headquarters. And apparently there was a bath in there. So the the editor would quite often find themselves editing an episode of The Sweeney where somebody, one of the technicians had a bath and farted in the bathroom <laughs> and did all this sort of stuff. Um, Sorry, right, I won't put any sound effects no, okay, on for that at that, that point. And there's also a thing of um, David Wicks, who's a director for The Sweeney. He directed a, quite a few episodes. And he directs an episode for Series 1. Mm-hmm. And I think he's in, in from the cold. And he does one scene in one shot. Oh, right. Okay. Um, it's about a, f- a three or four, maybe a five-minute scene. And apparently when they're planning and the camera's going, so we're going to cut it there. That's like, really ambitious doing it, it, it on film, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then the, the camera was going, so we're going to cut it there. He's like, no, no, no we're going to keep going. Oh, and they did have to do it twice because something went wrong the first time, but they did it. Yeah. Right. So they had to map it out and the cameraman followed John Saw and the other actor, one, an actress, I think it was, around... And they did it. They did it in one shot. <laughs> so mm. that's. I think that's. That was just worth mentioning because that's an extraordinary thing to do. Oh, on very, film. very quickly. Some, yeah. o- you, some other bits and pieces. You've got yeah. a Sweeney CD. We have got you? a Sweeney CD. Who, which um, uh, Robert Fairclough and Mike Kenwood had a hand in helping do. And um, you got some annuals as well. Got didn't some you? annuals, and the, but the CD has got the Thames sting on it. Okay, you can tell okay. a true fan when you put the Thames. You, you sting start as with the, the Thames, first track. Thames thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but mm. the the, uh, the annuals are quite interesting. They from, are. They, they they've got yeah. some sort of production photos. Yeah, and little, yeah. And little, little, little sort of interviews and, and interviews with the stars in bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, in true annuals, I I mean. Sweeney annual strikes me as quite a weird thing. It is quite it, a weird thing, yeah. Because yeah. it's sort of... Is it aimed at, like, older boys, I, I presume? I don't know what it's aimed at, because you can't make it too violent, because... But there is a little race game in one of them, is isn't there, it? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's yeah. there's this, the Sweeney crossword, which which amused me, because all, all of the clues and answers, mm. they're, they're things like truncheon, cosh, handcuff, waterman, uh, masks, John Thor... And then twenty nine across, no twenty seven across. The answer is onion. Yeah, that's right. That, that one's the Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's but almost it's like, like they ran out of ideas. Yeah, what like, like they painted in? themselves into a corner and can't do any more Sweeney words. Yeah. Oh, onion. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> no one will notice. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I think we're we'll wrap, wrap it up there. But shall yeah, we? it's well worth watching. Those episodes yeah. are worth watching. And um, 
the Sweeney, the first and second series of the Sweeney are out on Blu-ray if you want to watch it in oh, yes, super high quality. Yes, indeed. But yeah, I, 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 I was surprised how much I enjoyed yeah. them because I, I, I sort of went into the going, oh, I'm not, not sure, not sure, no. not sure it's my sort of thing. No, because I think you thought it was going to be too violent. Yeah, and but, was but there's enough humour in there yeah, to, balance to balance it for it. me, so, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm really rather impressed. So mm. we'll leave it there, I think, and uh, we'll just come back with John Woodnut's yeah. Doctor Who theme arrangement and then... And uh, then and we'll tie up the issue and think about yeah. issue 10. Yeah. Wow. Um, amazed we're going to get to issue 10, but we've got some old friends coming back oh, for yes. that one. Yes. Um, thank you to everyone who's already helped. So mm -hmm. we'll see you in a, in a second. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> As mentioned, here's John Woodnut's attempt at the Doctor Who theme with a bit of added Terence Sticks in the background. Our thanks to Nick Goodman for allowing us to use this recording. Thank you. Sinister stuff on here. Well, that's just about it for this <gasps> issue. Bless you. Oh, thank you, dear. Now, did you want to go to the shops for your gin? Hmm. I thought you said that the car was at the garage being mended. Well, it is, dear, but I'm sure young Mr Warren will gladly give us a lift. What? In his police car? Well, it wouldn't be the first time you'd been in the back of a police car, would it, dear? But no, I meant in his sweet little mini. I hope you're referring to his car and not his skirt. Anyway, you know I have terrible trouble getting in and out of the back seats. Hang on, I'll phone him. <laughs> Hello, Warren, dear, how are you? Oh, oh, you... Oh, you didn't? Out of a tree? Was chasing ne'er-do-wells? In Norwich? Oh, how painful. Well, how long will you be in the plaster for? Oh. Oh, all right, dear. Well, remember to keep applying the ointment, then. Bye-bye, dear. Bye-bye. I take it he can't give us a lift, then? No. On reflection, I think we'd better take the bus. That was episode 9 of Round the Archives, starring Andrew Trowbridge and Lisa Parker, with Fiona Allen, Warren Cummings and Michael Seeley. Thanks also to Nick Goodman, the enigmatic Iggins, Paul Dunford and the members of the Stacton Trestle Archive Appreciation Society for their contribution. On the musical side, you heard Dan Tate and Paul Chandler. The script for the Sweeney, Stay Lucky A, was by Trevor Preston and Thou Shalt Not Kill was by Ranald Graham. And the producer was Ted Childs. I wonder if he's married. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, that's uh, just about it for this. <laughs> it's you. Bless you. Oh, thank you, dear. Uh, now, did you want to go to the shops for your gin? Hmm. I thought you said the gar was... The gar? The gar? <laughs> He's in Dalek's master plan. Gar's <laughs> in the garage, along with the missing episode. Oh, we finally got an outtake. I've been waiting for one. Shall we start that again? Yes. <laughs> yes, dear. As promised, here is John Woodnut doing his arrangement of the Doctor Who uh, title theme tune. Um, I'm going to start that again. That bloke can't pronounce Regan, can he? No, he can't. <laughs> he can't. That it's announced... not Regan, it's Reagan. <laughs> That's what... No, no he says way... Reagan. He says Reagan. No, I can't pronounce Reagan. it either. Should we start that again? All right. <laughs> That was episode 9 of Round the Archive, starring Andrew Trowbridge and Lisa Parker, with Fiona Allen, one Robert Blair. <laughs> Should we do that Roy again? Blah, 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 blah